but a confronting psalm. And then our final passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and then I'll uh, share some thoughts in a talk on that passage. Thanks, Steve. So Psalm 7 is on page 545 of the Bibles in front of you. We're going to be reading all of it. A Shigion of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjaminite. My Lord, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all those who pursue me. Or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. My Lord, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Arise, Lord, in your anger, rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. Let the assembled people gather around you, and while you sit enthroned over them on high, let the Lord judge the people. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous Lord, God, who probes minds and hearts. My shield is God most high who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword, he will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons, and he makes ready his flaming arrows. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. And our final reading from Thessalonians is in chapter 5 on page 1188. So it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 beginning at verse 12. Now, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, 
But test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thanks, Steve. When you're looking forward to a certain day, as you're waiting, you get ready. I remember our uh, oldest child, when she was getting ready for school, she was so excited to start school when she was just four. She, she just asked to have her needles. She said, please take me to the doctor. I want to have my needles. All of our children wanted to try on the school uniform before the day came. And they weren't so keen on the uniform after a little while. As you go through life, there's always a day that you're looking forward to, is there not? Uh, starting university, finishing university, starting that first job. For some, their wedding day, the day that your child was born, first child. And for those who are in the workforce, the day of your retirement. But how do you get ready for all of these days? Any expert will tell you that you need to get ready for the day of your retirement because it will come like a shock. And how are you going to spend every day? Christians are looking forward to a very important day, the day of the Lord. And we saw last week that what will happen on that day, we will live together with him, verse 10. How then, as we wait, can we get ready? Paul said last week, be awake, be sober, encourage one another. But there's more to it than that. If we're to live together with him, then we see today we're to live together in love now and we're to delight in God now. Firstly, live together in love now. Back in chapter 4, Paul told them to please God. You've been taught by God to love one another. I urge you then to do so more and more. And so no surprise, he says, as you look forward to the day of living together, get ready by loving one another now. So love those who work hard to care for you and admonish you, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Paul here is clearly talking to their leaders. So there is a word here for the leaders amongst us in our church, whether they're paid or unpaid. But notice, leaders, that he doesn't call them leaders. He doesn't give them a title. Instead, he describes what they do, how they serve. They encourage and build up 
God's people by caring for God's people and admonishing them. And as they do this, though boundaries are important, though it's important to sustainably work, notice, leaders, notice me, he says, it says that it, they work hard. Leaders who care for God's people are to work hard. That's what we're to expect. Long hours, working hard with all the energy that God gives us. How then are we to encourage and love those who care for us and admonish us in the Lord? Paul gives two commands. Acknowledge those who work hard among you and hold them in the highest regard in love. Acknowledge, accept their leadership, especially when they admonish you. Receive that. Notice their work and thank them for their hard work. Hold them in the highest regard in love. Well, that means to appreciate means to hold them in affection and to express that. Now, because I'm your senior minister, I think this is a little bit awkward to speak about this. It could seem self-serving. So let me approach it this way. I am so thankful for the leaders of our church, for the staff and for the many people who do this voluntarily, they work hard. They care for you and admonish you. And I want to acknowledge them. I want to say that I hold them in the highest regard in love. Personally, I want to say thank you. Thank you for welcoming us three years ago, for the encouragements that you give me every week for your expressions of support when my father died a year ago, you have been taught by God to love your leaders. So I simply urge you to do so more and more. Look for ways to express that love, especially if it doesn't come naturally to you. It's the end of the year, so it's a good opportunity to do that. If you're in one of the growth groups, have you thanked your growth group leader for their hard work this year? If your children are in the children's programs or the youth group, have you thanked the leaders for caring and admonishing your children? We belong to the day when we will live together. And so leaders are to work hard to care for and admonish and we are to love them. But of course, we're not just to love our leaders, are we? Love others according to their needs. Verse 14 is very striking. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Love other people according to their needs. The idol. Literally, the word means a soldier who's not marching in line with everyone else, who's disorderly. So it's someone who does not submit to authority, who is disruptive. By the first century, this word had developed to mean someone who is idle. You see that clearly in 2 Thessalonians. Someone who's able to work to provide for themselves and their family, but they refuse to do so. Idle. Someone who's able to serve in the church family and give their time for the gospel, 
but they're not willing. So they are dependent on others. How do you love and build up someone like that? Not by acknowledging them. Not by holding them in the highest regard in love. No, you do the same as your leaders do. Warn them. It's the same word as admonish. I wonder, would you ever be prepared to admonish someone like that? Others are not idle, says Paul. Others are disheartened. They've lost hope. They're discouraged. It could be just they lack resilience, they're timid, they struggle with depression or anxiety. Or someone is going through a particular struggle at the moment, unemployment or sickness or a broken relationships or they are grieving. How do you love and build up someone in that situation? Not by warning and admonishing them, but encouraging them, expressing your support, reminding them of God's love and pointing them to the hope of Jesus' return. I wonder who you could encourage at the moment. Others are not disheartened, but weak, says Paul. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, they need help. And the word help here means to hold on to someone as they are struggling in life, struggling in the waves, perhaps, to hold on to them. It's an expression of walking beside someone through their struggle so they know they are not alone. Has anyone ever done that for you? How precious that is. It makes such a difference. Who could you walk beside at the moment? Whether you are warning the idle, encouraging the disheartened or helping the weak, this takes patience. Be patient with all, says Paul. There are some ways that we are to love other people the same no matter who they are and no matter what they are going through. Paul says that in verse 15. See that nobody retaliates, that everyone strives, that is, persecute is the word, to do good to all people. In verse 26, we are to greet all God's people with a holy kiss. We immediately focus on the kiss part of this and ask, do we need to kiss everyone? Some cultures are into kissing to greet people, aren't they? Other cultures are more into giving hugs. Australian culture is more into shaking hands. I think that's irrelevant and depends on your culture or personality. The point is to greet, that's the command, and to greet all. We will live together with Jesus forever. And so even though there are friendships in the church, you have more in common with some people than others. There are to be no factions, no exclusions of people. We are to have the same affection for all. Of course, you would greet each person when we gather together. We're to love one another, and in some ways that is the same for everyone. But it is different for different people in different situations. Warn the idle, encourage the disheartened, and help the weak. How do you do this? Especially when it's hard, I think, to tell the difference between someone who is idle, someone who is disheartened, and someone who is weak. 
Well, we do need to know one another, don't we? We do need to do far more than just gather for a church service and then leave. We need to get to know one another. We need to share our own weaknesses and struggles. We need wisdom. Wisdom to know the difference between different people and how to love people differently. We need to reflect and ask someone what is actually helpful for them and pray for wisdom. And we need to know Christ. I think we take verse 14 for granted. Of course you would be like this. That's what any good-hearted person would do. Warn the idle, encourage the disheartened and help the weak. But when Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, this is completely countercultural. The rich expected to be idle. That's what they were supposed to do. The disheartened and the weak, why would you be concerned about them? Until Christ comes along. He submitted to his father, worked hard to provide for others, warned the idle, encouraged the disheartened, helped the weak. He did not retaliate but became weak himself and gave his life for his enemies. It is only when you know Christ that you will want to and be able to warn the idle, encourage the disheartened and help the weak. Friends, you've been taught by God to love one another. I urge you to do so more and more, all the more as you see the day approaching, for then we will live together. But we will not just live together on that day. We will live together with him. How do we get ready for that day? Point two, delight in God now. On that day, we will be with the Lord forever. We will dwell with him and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. But not yet. Not yet. So verses 16 to 18 are both delightful and challenging. Have a look, verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Delightful. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Challenging, always, continually, in all circumstances. The Thessalonians are being persecuted at this very moment. They are struggling with sexual immorality. They are struggling with their own grief for those who have died. If you have a diagnosis and a treatment in front of you, If you're worried about your children or your grandchildren, you're worried about the world conflicts, imagine those Christians who are caught up in conflict in Gaza and Ukraine. How do you give thanks and rejoice? Well, Paul here is not meaning to be superficial, that we do each of these things in equal measure at all times. He is not saying, I think, that you rejoice about everything. Do you remember Paul was torn away from the Thessalonians for a period? He was terribly concerned about them. He said he was in anguish. No doubt he was praying continually. He was giving thanks for them. But I don't think he was rejoicing about the situation. When he heard that they were persevering, then he rejoiced. 
These things are a complex mix and will change depending on your circumstances. But whatever the circumstances, when you know that God has not stopped showing his kindness to you, when you know that the Father is in control and has a purpose for your life, that you would become more like Jesus, your sanctification, that he is making you ready for that day when you live with him, then you can rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Indeed, when you ask the question, why is this happening to you, you know at least that part of the answer is so that you will learn to rejoice, to pray and to give thanks always. I wonder which one of those three do you need to cultivate because it does not come naturally to you. More importantly than that, do you know deep down that God is sovereign over your life, that he is deeply at work, that you would become more like Jesus? We belong to the day, so we delight in God's sovereign will now. And if we delight in God's sovereign will now, then we delight in his work now. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. This sounds miraculous, doesn't it? And supernatural. It is. In chapter 1, God said, you've been chosen by God. We know because the word came to you with power and the Holy Spirit. In chapter 4, he says, God has given you his spirit for your sanctification, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. God has taught you to love one another. It is supernatural what God is doing in you. So do not quench that spirit. Keep in step with what he's doing. And as we learned in the Making Disciples series, the spirit works in us through words spoken by other people. So, do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt. You see among Corinthians that prophecies are not predictions of the future. They are words spoken by other people to encourage you and build you up. Paul's letters, verse 27, must be, must be read by all, but prophecies, words spoken by other people, are to be tested you hold on to what is good and reject what is evil. So when someone warns you, when they admonish you, when they speak words to encourage you or help you or even say to you, I think God is saying to you, how do you react? Do you take their words on board and take them seriously? Do you take them to heart? Are they important to you as God's means of encouraging you? Do you test them with scripture? Reject those that are not from his word and take to heart those that are. We belong to the day when we will live together with him. So we live together in love and delight in his sovereign will and work. I don't know how you feel about all of this this getting ready for the day of the Lord. But it sounds difficult, doesn't it? 
We love passages that are full of application and commands. But they are very difficult to obey. But there is a final encouragement, which I really want you to see. Point three, depend upon God's faithfulness now. Verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In some ways, this verse is not encouraging. The goal is even higher than you thought. Your whole spirit, soul and body. Not that there are three different parts of you, but every part of you, Paul is saying. Even your bodies, for your bodies will be raised from the dead. Every part of you needs to be blameless. Wow. But the good news is, is that God has been at work. Paul prayed back in chapter 3 that God would strengthen you for this to happen. God's will is your sanctification, that it would happen. And we saw in chapter 5, he has appointed you to receive salvation, for Jesus has already taken your wrath. You are already blameless before him. That's why Paul says, may your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Who will make sure this happens? Will it be you? No. The one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. With that confidence, with that assurance that we can depend upon God's faithfulness now, I want us to take the next couple of minutes to reflect on some of the instructions, encouragements that we've had from God's word and consider which ones we would like to put into effect this week. There are three questions coming up on the screen. We're going to take two minutes to reflect on them silently, bring them before the Lord and ask his help, perhaps just for one of them. And then I'll lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful promise that those who trust in the Lord Jesus will live together with him forever. Help us then to prepare for that day by living together in love and by delighting in your work and will. Father, we thank you that we can depend upon your faithfulness to do this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.